This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. After experiencing trauma, I went to therapy and my therapist guided me through a difficult time in my life. They helped me understand what was happening and provided me with tools to cope and find my own strength and resilience. Their experience and compassion were invaluable and enabled me to rebuild my life and move forward. I strongly believe in the power of therapy to help people through difficult times. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who is trained to listen and give you helpful, unbiased advice. First, you go to their site. You can use my link, betterhelp.com resilience. You answer a few questions and BetterHelp will match you to a professional who has years of experience helping people with struggles just like yours. Let BetterHelp connect you to a therapist who can support you, all from the comfort of your own home. Visit betterhelp.com slash resilience or choose podcast, then notes on resilience during sign up and enjoy a special discount on your first month. Hello, welcome to Notes on Resilience. I'm your host, Manya Chalinski, and my guest today is Anna Seewald. She is a psychologist, a coach, an educator, a podcast host, and Her focus is on parenting and co-parenting. She is also a trauma survivor, and we talked about resiliency, the difference between stress management and resiliency, the importance of relationships in building resiliency and how they can make all the difference in recovery after trauma, and how humans have a deep need when we are in pain or dealing with something difficult to be witnessed and to have somebody who can hold space for us as we're going through what we're going through. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did and find us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. And we'd love it if you could leave a review. Thanks. Hi, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, and I am so excited to have you as a guest on the podcast today. I'm excited to be here. So before we talk about who you are and and resiliency and all that good stuff, I'd love to know if you could have a superpower, what would that be? Hmm, That's a fun question. I think I would like to have an ability to teleport to go from place to place or even time travel. Yeah. With the snap of a finger or closing of the eyes. I love that. And that's, that's definitely one that's on my list as well. And especially as someone who likes to travel, it makes it a little bit easier to get from place to place. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Let's jump in. So tell us who you are and what you do and how come you and I are talking about resiliency today? Well, I am a psychologist, an educator, a divorce mediator, and host of the Authentic Parenting Podcast professionally. I'm also a mom, among other things. I work with parents. I have a private practice that specializes in parenting and co-parenting. So I work with parents, co-parents, high-conflict couples, and I really enjoy what I do. And 
I host a podcast. I've been hosting it for the past eight years. It's a show, trauma-informed show about parenting, about healing ourselves, looking at our own childhoods, making sense of it so that we can raise our children in a more conscious way. Wow. That is really important work. (laughs) And I think we know how important raising kids is. And I know how hard it can be, Um, not personally, but from, from the parents and children in my life, I know it can be such a difficult and rewarding job. And it sounds like you come in and intervene when there are some challenges. Most definitely. Yes. I don't think happy people, you know, come to me. (laughs) It's usually (laughs) people who have big issues and challenges and I take it as a personal challenge, Mm -hmm. but I also love helping people and, and being part of people's stories helping them process their own lives. It's really deeply rewarding and watching the growth unfold in front of my eyes. I bet that is is indeed quite rewarding, I can imagine. And you mentioned that your podcast is trauma-informed. So I'm guessing that some of this work that you do with parents and children is connected to trauma, whether current trauma or past trauma. Yes, most definitely. You know, I'm thinking about, we sometimes talk about trauma as being generational and how it can carry through from from parents to children. How do you deal with something like that when you're, you know, you've got your clients right in front of you and we're dealing with maybe some of these long-term traumas? How do you deal with that? Well, it requires a lot of work on the parts of the person, right? It requires commitment. And a person has to be in a place of consciousness, awakened place that, you know, that the past that they have is impacting the way they parent today. So that awareness has to be in place. Mm -hmm. Um, And then depending on the amount of trauma a person has lived through, you know, the work is very deep and layered and laborious in some cases. Some people don't stick to it. I think the more trauma that you have in your history, the harder it is to parent uh, because trauma alters who you are, mm-hmm. how you see yourself, how you make connections, how you show up in the world, uh, how you do relationships, how you parent. It also changes your body, your brain. It changes you. And on top of that, a lot of people who experienced childhood trauma, particularly, Mm -hmm. they have a deep sense of shame and unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And so that's not a really good ingredient for successful and effective parenting because parenting is stressful, challenging, and really emotional. Mm -hmm. And when a person who is disconnected from themselves, from their emotions, from their body because of the past trauma, Mm -hmm. and on top of that, they have a sense of unworthiness Mm -hmm. that I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm worthless, and so on and so on. Parenting can really be tough because there is no outcome. It's a process mm-hmm. and you don't get to see the results of of your labor. 
And so you're constantly doubting yourself and reinforcing the notion of I'm a failure, I'm broken, I'm not good enough, I'm failing at this, I'm breaking my kids. So it becomes this vicious loop. And so I think, you know, the biggest step is always to make sense of your life, what has happened to you, understand what traumas you went through and who you are as a result. And the biggest tool that I find is useful is cultivating self-compassion mm-hmm. because a person who has that deep shame and unworthiness, you know, it's hard. It's hard to live in the world. It's hard to parent and constantly feeling like that is not going to be conducive of successful parenting. So if you don't want to repeat um, the harmful patterns of trauma, in your parenting, you better practice self-compassion, self-kindness, right. which could be hard because you already believe that you're not worthy of any love and kindness. So a person already has internalized harsh treatment, a mm-hmm. person who has deep shame, they already do self-loathing, self-neglecting, self-abandonment type of things. And it's, it becomes a very difficult work, not for everybody. Obviously, we're all on a spectrum. So right. th- that's a like sort of um, determining factor. If you had a lot of trauma and you have a deep sense of unworthiness, the parenting is going to be really, really challenging. Yes. As opposed to for someone who doesn't have that. Right. Then it's just the regular level of challenging. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. You talked about cultivating self-compassion, and I'm sure that there is no one trick to that because we're all so individual. I guess I'm curious, what are some ways, though, that we can help ourselves be more compassionate towards ourselves? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question. It depends on an individual. Some people can have a really active negative inner critic that is constantly telling them, you know, you are a piece of such and such, you're not worthy of love, you're a failure. And it could be hard to hush that inner inner voice. So for that type of person, doing certain exercises to distance yourself from your thoughts, not believing in your thoughts, you know, changing how you speak to yourself would be a good place to start. For some people, it's, you know, this shows up in how you treat yourself. Mm -hmm. Some people are pleasing others while neglecting themselves. So in that case, the recommendation would be to put yourself on the map too and take basic care of yourself, uh, recognize your needs, treat your body with kindness, you know, eat nourishing foods, rest when you need to. Mm -hmm. And it comes in different forms. For someone, it could be they have porous boundaries and they're just there for everyone and they're neglecting themselves and their needs. Mm -hmm. So for that person, obviously working on strengthening the boundaries with other people protecting their own time, their own energy, mm-hmm. and their own attention and not disposing it as readily and freely, you know, would be an avenue. So it's really challenging. Um, you know, there's no one way, right? Everybody right. Is, right. has their own struggles in this sphere. 
It could be your thought pattern. It could be your body. It could be how you treat yourself and on and on. So yeah, uh, starting with speaking to yourself kindly yes. and 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 not being hard on yourself when you make mistakes, it, it would be a good place to start. Absolutely. And I imagine as, as you were going through that, I imagine some of our listeners are hearing different parts of it that stick out to them as, oh, that is something maybe I want to think about doing or, or I want to think about not doing or some ways to think about because I think we could all use with um, bolstering our own self-compassion. You know, what do you think about the word resiliency and how does that relate to the work that you're doing with these parents? Yeah. Well, how I think of the word resiliency is I don't think it's resilient means going back to the original state after an adversity. Mm-hmm. Because as someone who went through a severe earthquake as a child and has gone through other traumatic experiences, I know for sure, or even the pandemic experience for all of us, there is no going back to the original state. You will never be the original state, but you can adapt, you can transform, you can grow, and you can recover from adversity and uh, traumatic experiences. And um, I think we all have a capacity to be resilient. Mm-hmm. People think that, oh, either you're born resilient or you're not. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really big myth. In fact, I, th- I believe resiliency can be cultivated. Mm-hmm. It's not like either some people are doomed for the rest of their lives or <laughs> if you were not born resilient, then that's it. You know, it's a lifelong sentence. It's not like that. I think resiliency could be cultivated and be learned, yes. you know, a set of skills. Uh, however, there are some people who are naturally maybe more optimistic, more mm-hmm. adaptable, more flexible. That serves them. Yes. Well, I chuckled when you talked about people who believe that you either are resilient or you aren't resilient, because when I first started hearing about the concept of resiliency in terms of psychological resiliency. It was after experiencing my trauma when I did not feel resilient and I was fully convinced those people over there are resilient. I am not. How did they get to get that? And I don't have it. Came to realize that in fact, I do have resilience and I am resilient as are we all. But I, in the throes of it, I was convinced that I didn't have this thing called resiliency and I wasn't going to get better because I didn't have it. What was it that you saw in others that made you make you believe that they were resilient? You know, I saw people who to my eyes looked like they were healing. They were, you know, it's something that I learned a long time ago, which is and I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this. Don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. But I would see people who I knew had gone through the exact same or similar experience to me, or I knew it was, you know, maybe even worse. They had, they had physical injuries that they were dealing with on top of the emotional trauma and they were smiling and happy and talking. And I thought, well, 
obviously that's because they're better and they are more resilient mm-hmm. than I am. But I was comparing, you know, that one day that I saw them where they happened to be in a good mood to all of the negative stuff going on in my own brain. Cause I'm sure I also had moments where I was happy and laughing and talking and didn't look like anything was going on with me. But yeah, I just saw people who looked like they had gotten better, whatever that meant to me, and that they were now back to their regular life. But, you know, based on 10 minutes of experience with them. I think it's important to note here, uh, stress management and resiliency. I think a lot of people manage their stress better, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are resilient. Mm-hmm. And and that could appear from a distance uh, that they are exhibiting, you know, resiliency. Mm-hmm. In my view, there is a difference because resiliency is not only how you manage your stress, right? It's how you adapt, transform, grow, recover. And it's a process while stress management could be short-term. Mm -hmm. Uh, resiliency is more of an attitude. It's a mindset. It's an outlook, how you look at life. It's not only a set of techniques or uh, tools that you manage your stress. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I think it's important to note the difference. Resilient people have a different outlook to life, right? they viewed themselves differently. They look at life in a more optimistic way. They're mm-hmm. more hopeful maybe, and, and so on and so forth. What do you think about that distinction? Well, I guess I'm curious about, like you saying that resilient people are more optimistic because I think we all have a level of resiliency, but we're certainly not all optimistic. So I guess, how do you pull apart those threads? Because I believe now that I've learned a little bit about resiliency, I believe that we all have some level of resiliency and it's, you know, based on so many different factors of our lives and our, and who we are and nature and nurture. But like I said, you know, we're not all optimistic. We don't all manage our stress very well. So I guess it sounded to me like what you said was, that some people are resilient and other people aren't. But maybe I heard that wrong. Not necessarily optimism. Maybe it to that optimism and realistic outlook to life. Okay. Optimism may not come right away, that mm-hmm. hope part of things. But I think having a realistic outlook is what matters. Mm-hmm. How to <laughs> explain this so that you and listeners are not confused and it's not that some people are up to, you know, resilient, some aren't because that's not true. Right. right? Um, you can definitely through different practices, even cultivate a sense of optimism. You can work on being more optimistic. True. Uh, you know, true. some people are born somewhat happy and optimistic uh, and some people aren't. That doesn't mean you can never develop a capacity to be more optimistic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right? Uh, so then, but but I think the biggest factor when it comes to resiliency is, you know, is the connections, is the social support, is the relationships that you have. Um, however, we all know stories of people 
who even without the support of others were resilient to war prisoners of war or, you know, extreme cases like that. So there's something intrinsic in the person's attitude and mindset and outlook, you know, that there is something there to be said about that. Also, I think having role models is 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 key in being mm-hmm. res- resilient. I, I think there's a lot of factors. It's 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 sure. you know it's not an easy definition for sure. Right. Right. And it is different for all of us. Like so many of these emotional things, we each come to it with a different level of kind of natural resiliency, a different level of learned resiliency different number of traumas that we've dealt with that have informed our resiliency. So it is, it can be a challenging, it's challenging to define because it isn't just black or white. It is not. And, and you only recognize that you were resilient after the fact, not like during how you're handling things that would be an inaccurate evaluation of one's resiliency. Like you overcome something and maybe, you know, sometime, Later, you say, wow, you know, I was resilient. Yeah, You know, like while you're going through it, you're not going to to say, you know, I'm resilient. I'm resilient. I'm, right. I'm doing this. It, it, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Well, and like my experience of as soon as I heard about resiliency, I thought, well, that's not me. I don't have that. But I certainly did. I just didn't, wasn't able to see it in myself for a whole variety of reasons. So, you know, we have been talking about personal resiliency, the the behaviors and the qualities and the traits that we each exhibit. But what do you think about the role like of our systems and institutions in helping people heal from trauma or supporting their resiliency? Wow, that's a large question. I'm actually, <laughs> yes, I, I, I don't know if I'm even uh, qualified to answer that question. I think coming from a trauma background, I would say, you know, having trauma-informed education, trauma-informed care when it comes to institutions, uh, trauma-informed approaches, you know, to work and places um, is an important piece to this. Well, what you said resonates with me and probably many of our listeners that the trauma-informed piece, whether it's trauma-informed care in a medical environment or, you know, in an educational environment or even a corporate environment, being aware that there are people who are dealing with trauma and, you know, working to be supportive and not be re-traumatizing. I think that's so critical and I it isn't something that it feels like it's kind of naturally part of a lot of the way organizations come to be. Yeah. And and that means adjusting expectations, right? Let's say someone's partner dies or an employee is going through a, a rough time emotionally, creating an open space where people can have uh, can be heard and not just be looked as robotic employees without lives, without inner lives. And having this acceptance of, of humanness of people and it may be giving them a break, you know, if, if need be, take a break, adjusting expectations, not expecting that person to come and be resilient and conquer the world and forget their problems, get over things, you yeah. know, ha- having a more understanding approach um, 
would be really helpful. But again, that means we need to learn about trauma, how it, how loss, how it impacts people. Yes. Um, and but we live in a you know death phobic, grief phobic culture. Yes. So like, there's a lot of education um, needs to happen in order change to take place in those institutions. Um, because a lot of people believe that, okay, something happened to you, get over it, move on. It was three months ago. It was six months ago. It was a year ago. It was 20 years ago. Like, why are you still bitching and moaning about this? So people don't have tolerance for, for vulnerability and emotions. Yeah. You know, I was talking to an organization, um, that was dealing with the death of an executive, so it was the death that affected everyone in the organization in some way, whether or not they personally had a relationship with this person. And there were some real struggles because they didn't quite know how to address the fact that everybody was having these feelings and struggling. And um, so it was just, it was interesting to think about that kind of loss at an organizational level uh, you know, I think they were struggling with, like, we just kind of want to pretend it didn't happen because it's so difficult. Yeah. You see, I mean, it, it's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The culture that we live in, that, that has to change. Yeah. Well, hopefully you and I are chipping away at that. And many others who are doing this similar kind of work are chipping away at it. So, What's an important lesson about resilience or compassion that you've learned because of your work or your personal experience? For me, the biggest one from my personal experience has been the role of relationships. You know, having people while you're going during or after a traumatic event, stressful event or adversity is enormously, that's the factor that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and knowing that, you know, some people may not have a good support network or a support system, but I think knowing that being mindful when you're going through something difficult, reaching out to people, asking for help, putting in place a support network is crucial mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes people may not recognize that you need that help. And someone who comes from this trauma background, maybe your needs were not met when you were a kid. Maybe you mm -hmm. already struggle with unworthiness. You don't believe that you worth care and you deserve love and, you know, good treatment. So it could be hard for people like that to reach out for help and, and receive help. Yeah. So knowing that, that relationships are going to make a big difference mindfully creating your village, creating your network, you know, supportive environment for yourself is, is, is huge. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have a good family, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be your family. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It could be even going to therapy because humans have a deep need when they are in pain, when they're going through something traumatic or stressful, we all have a need to be witnessed. And mm -hmm. that makes a big difference. When you tell your story in front of someone and they hold space for you with empathy, with validation, or just by listening, mm -hmm. that's what makes a big difference. You don't feel alone anymore mm -hmm. with your pain. You feel understood. And then 
hope and resiliency can open up in you, you know, that they're there, the little seeds, then they can turn into buds and they can open up. That that has been the biggest one Mm -hmm. in, in my life. That's what I learned. That's something I have also learned through my experience, the importance of those personal relationships. Um, so that really resonates with me. So as we are getting to the end, I'm curious, what would you tell your 18-year-old self about resiliency? 18, that's such a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a long time ago. Mm, wow, I would say resilience is not what you think it is. You might think that you have it, but be prepared to be surprised. It doesn't necessarily come from within. You don't have to rely on yourself solely to be resilient. Mm -hmm. You can rely on other people and that's okay. It's not a sign of weakness. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I think my 18-year-old self would appreciate that message as well. So thank you for sharing that. And as we're getting ready to wrap up, you know, how can our listeners reach you if they want to learn more about you and your work? Well, I have a website. It's called AuthenticParenting.com. Everything is there. And I have a podcast, as I mentioned. It's called Authentic Parenting that you can find wherever podcasts are played. And I use social media, but the only social media platform that I use is Instagram. So again, my username is Authentic Parenting Podcast. I'm very mindful how I use social media. Oh, yes. There's a whole other conversation we could have, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will put a link in the show notes for everyone so we can... um, get get you to Anna's sites and you can learn more about the incredible work that she does. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed your thoughtful questions and I think I'll be thinking about them throughout the day. I am not done thinking about them. <laughs> All right. Well, keep me posted. If you've got some more answers, I'm open for another conversation for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. So if you'd like to learn more about me, Manya Chilinski, I work with organizations to help understand how to create environments where people can thrive after difficult life experiences. And I do this through talks and consulting. I'm a survivor of mass violence, and I use my experience to help leaders learn about resiliency, compassion, and trauma-sensitive leadership to build strategies to enable teams to thrive and be engaged amidst difficulty and turmoil. If this is something you want to learn more about, visit my website, www.maniachilinski.com, or email me at mania at maniachilinski, or stop by my social media on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. So if you'd like to learn more about me, Manya Chilinski, I work with organizations to help understand how to create environments where people can thrive after difficult life experiences. And I do this through talks and consulting. 
I'm a survivor of mass violence, and I use my experience to help leaders learn about resiliency, compassion, and trauma-sensitive leadership, to build strategies to enable teams to thrive and be engaged amidst difficulty and turmoil. If this is something you want to learn more about, visit my website, www.maniachilinski.com, or email me at manya at maniachilinski, or stop by my social media on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks so much. Talk soon.